You want to know why you're all fucked up? What is nothing? Hey, that's deep. What in the fuck are we doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. I'm your host, Christina P. Thank you for downloading this episode. A few announcements. This is it. This is the final episode before I take it on hiatus, before I have my child, before I do a few other things, uh, before I go down, before I go down with a new baby. We all know if you've had children, uh, it's darkness for the first 90 days. But then I will come. I will come back. So for now, this is not goodbye. This is just a uh, uh, press pause on some stuff because I got some exciting stuff coming up. Um, so why don't I just, I'll tell you right now, I am shooting another uh, special for Netflix. Boop, boop, boop. I'm doing a half hour with the degenerates of comedy. It's going to be a fantastic lineup. There's Big J Okerson. Joey Coco Diaz and uh, Liz Traeger and then um, one woman, Yamanika. I don't know her last name, but she's very funny. I watched her clips. And uh, we're taping in Las Vegas. So if you live in Vegas and you would like to see, excuse me, the taping of this Netflix uh, stuff, it's going to be, the I think the night that I tape is June 4th and it's going to be with Joey. So that's going to be killer. So what you're going to do is go to my website, Christina P. Online. There's a link for free tickets. Now, here's the deal, guys. You have to use the promo code YOURMOM, Y-O-U-R-M-O-M, for for these tickets because they'll give you seating up front if you use that code. If you don't use that code, I don't know what they're going to do, and you may not get those tickets. So free tickets to see the Netflix taping of The Degenerates, The Degenerates, uh, Joey Diaz, and myself, you guys know Joey, and some fantastic other comedians. Um, So yeah, it's very exciting. So to wrap up for that, I'm doing a lot of local spots in L.A., one of which will be The Belly Room. I booked a show there uh, May 31st. With Ryan Sickler and Sam Tripoli and Steve Simone and Joni Coyote. Uh, Cheap tickets. I'm just doing it to run this half hour, make sure it's tight and clean amongst some other uh, spots I'm doing around town. Those tickets on Christina P. Online. And then November 24th, I go back to touring. I start the, uh, started off with House of Blues in San Diego. And then December 8th, New York City, Gramercy Theater. And there's just a handful of tickets handful of tickets left on the, that theater show in new york city so if you're interested uh, now, uh <coughs> i think i'm dying uh now is the time okay okay <laughs> to your shopping using my amazon banner uh go to that's the bro podcast click at the banner at the bottom of every post to your shopping as you normally would kicks back some change to the show okay I'm going to go. I love the song. Uh, and um, if you listen to the very first episode uh, of this show, this is the song. 
I used to open the very first episode of That's Deep Bro, and I thought we've come full circle for now. So uh, let's start it with uh, Peggy Lee. I remember when I was a little girl, our house caught on fire. I'll never forget the look on my father's face as he gathered me up in his arms and raced to the burning building out of the pavement. And I stood there, shivering in my pajamas, and watched the whole world go up in flames. And when it was all over, I said to myself, Is that all there is to a fire? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is. Break out the booze and have a ball If that's all there is And when I was 12 years old, my daddy took me to the circus The greatest show on earth There were clowns and elephants and dancing bears And a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. And as I sat there watching, I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what, but when it was all over, I said to myself, Is that all there is to the circus? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? That's all there is, my friends Then let's keep dancing Let's break out the booze And have a ball If that's all there is And then I fell in love the most wonderful boy in the world we'd take long walks down by the river or just sit for hours gazing into each other's eyes we were so very much in love and then one day he went away and i thought i'd die but i didn't and when i didn't i said to myself is that all there is to love Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep... I know what you must be saying to yourselves. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh no, not me. I'm not ready for that final disappointment. Because I know, just as well as I'm standing here talking to you, that when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, 
break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is yeah dog there you go <clears throat> Peggy Lee keeping a 100 is that all there is uh, I love that song. I, that's what, come on. It's one of the best. I heard the song when I was 13 years old. It blew my mind. It's still blowing my mind. I love it. I fucking love it, right? Is that all there is? Is that all there is? Who gives a shit? Uh, really, in a, in a positive way. <laughs> um, I always say that in a, in a positive sense of, uh, you know, there are times in your life where you get locked in to, you think things are so serious and that they'll never pass and you're just, you're so in it, you know? And I, and I started this podcast interested in Buddhism and non-attachment. Um, and I think the reason is because like, you, you know, I was attracted to that initially because it's very similar to existentialism in the fact, in the regard of taking a step back and going, oh, is that all there is? This is absurd. I mean, here we are floating around on this peculiar rock in the Milky Way galaxy. Excuse me, I just barfed in my own mouth because I'm pregnant. Floating around um, on this absurd rock, sitting in traffic uh, behind cars, getting angry at it, thinking about uh, the bills, the mortgage, the wife, the kids, the husband, whatever, the dog, and all the shit that you worry about. And then you, you know, you fast forward and you're like, oh, you know what? One day I'm going to be on my deathbed. Like, think about that. You're going to be on your fucking deathbed. You're going to die. You're dying now. You're breaking down as we speak. Every cell, everything is breaking down. You're atrophying right now. You're just creeping towards the Grim Reaper. And I'm worried about the traffic and the mortgage and the dogs and the thing and the, you know, and uh, it kind of helps me zoom back, you know, when you like whoosh, take a step back, you know, you you look at the Google Maps and then you focus in and you're like, oh, there's me, there's the dot. And then I like to zoom out and out and out and out and out and out and you go, okay, yeah. <sighs> oh, none of this shit fucking matters. None of this matters. Ultimately, I'm going to, I'm going to die one day and it's okay. That's fine. That's part of the gig. But, uh, but that's it. That's all there is, man. So you may as well enjoy it. You may as well enjoy all the, the suffering and the, uh, I guess I, you know, and I also, I, I was listening to the first episode I did with the sh- of the show with my friend, Jenny Pentland, who was visiting at the time. And, uh, we were, you know, we were talking about that f- phenomenon of, of like, of, of suffering and non-attachment and, all of life is suffering and all of life is like figuring out how to navigate all that stuff. And I think now, you know, having done how many episodes of the show, I don't know, 200 something. I don't even know how many, um, you know, I think I have come to the conclusion that Eastern philosophy, Eastern thought is kind of what psychotherapy is, you know, pre therapy. It's the idea of like a, a little perspective, a little stepping back, a little peace with what is, and acceptance, radical acceptance of what is the truth, right? Of not pushing back against. And because when you push against what is, that's when you get into addiction and into bad behaviors and into uh, 
you know, doing stuff that's not conducive to your well-being, right? When those behaviors, those neuroses, those anxieties, those depressions, they come from not accepting what is. Now, that's not to say that people aren't clinically depressed. Of course, obviously, there's brain chemistry problems and such. But I'm saying for, you know, most of us, the average day-to-day stuff of like... Of, of human drama, a lot of it is because of not fully accepting what is and not um, allowing what is to be. We, we rail against it. Our egos can't handle such uh, catastrophes or traumas and this and that. And if you just allow yourself to feel, if you allow it to kind of push through you, to, to, to move through you, as Ram Das he talks about that too, allowing things to kind of pass through you, um, and you're over it faster, right? I mean, we've all had those days where something's gnawing at you, the anxiety of something, right? And rather than go like, wait a minute, what am I really anxious about here? What's, what's the deal? It, it, you know? You're going to take it out on the dog. You're going to take it out on the husband. You're going to take it out. You're going to find things to get mad at. Because that's what we do as people, right? As humans, you don't, you don't confront the thing head on. You, you go around it because it's, it's more painful to look at the thing, right? Than to go like, no, it's not, it's not that. It's this. <laughs> it's this here. It's my gluten-free diet. You know what? Uh, fuck the diet. I, I, I need to be a vegan. No, it's the... <laughs> It's not that, it's, you know, it's so-and-so. So-and-so's upsetting me. They're saying this and it's upsetting me. And then you just, you know, you get, in, you get entangled up in these dramas. And it's, it's nothing to do with other people, usually. It's, right? I mean, sometimes it is. But most of the time, it's just little old you running dramas. And I think I was attracted to the Buddhist stuff early because I was like, oh, this sounds familiar. This sounds good. And in the West, we call it psychotherapy. <laughs> what the Eastern uh, people, what the you know Buddhists and uh, they whatever they've they've decided long ago. Like oh, we get it. The, the point is not to dwell on it. Let's meditate um, instead of dwelling, right? And I think on the West we go well. No, let's get into the pain. Let's crawl into the pain and let's look at the trauma and let's l- cry and really feel it and then move on. So there's two different ways of doing it, you know, avoidance through meditation (laughs) or sometimes calming. And I I don't think Buddhists would advocate avoiding emotion. In fact, I think they advocate crying, feeling sad, feeling things, being human, fully human. I don't think so. But but sometimes, you know, when you're you're running anxiety, meditation is a great tool, right? Uh, I know on certain days when I'm freaked the fuck out over this and that, and I just realize how scattered my energy is. You ever have that? And I hate to use that word energy because it's just so lame, but it's really like a mental scattering where you're like, I'm so, I have no center. I'm just everywhere. I'm being pulled in 500 different directions. It's not, my answers and my opinions are not coming from a good place. They're coming from anxiety and fear. And that's when I meditate, right? Now I should do it every day. I don't. Uh, but when I do, it helps. It just helps kind of, you know, recalibrate, we recenter, come from a fresh place and, and start, uh, and you can kind of fresh, fresh in the mind. Right. <sighs> yeah. So anyways, that's kind of what I've learned doing this show for, uh, for how many hundreds of episodes now. Um, and I've also learned that the, most of us are experiencing the same dramas. Um, 
I, uh, I, uh, I find that, um, at least, <clears throat> excuse me, in stand up and on this show, the more open I am about the, the darkness inside of me, the dark things, how I feel about my family, the truth of how I feel about my mother or my father or whatever, whatever darkness it is. I find that people really resonate with that. And I, because it's it's the human condition it's the human stuff right that links us all together and 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 so that's been really great with this show is realizing i'm not alone uh in all this uh stuff that we all we all go through we all deal with we all have and you know and i'm not great at like you know um doing groups and stuff like that i'm just not uh, it's, I'm a lone wolf. <laughs> you know, I'm sitting here alone in the studio talking into a microphone and that's really how I feel most comfortable is just doing stuff alone or with my husband who, who is, you know, the light of my life. And I just, I adore obviously, obviously my kid, but, uh, yeah. And I, I, I don't like that about myself. I kind of, I wish I were more social. I wish I were more able to, uh, have stronger connections with friends and stuff, but you know what? I'm working on it. It's the, it's the work in progress. It's a work in progress. Uh, so anyways, what else have I learned? I just wanted to say that stuff before we go forward into emails. Um, not alone in the world. Buddhism and therapy. Okay. (laughs) What else? Uh, yeah, I think just to not be so afraid of what is, uh, and and to feel the sadness about what, um, what is, what is, yeah. Um. So there, okay. And a- apropos that discussion, I thought I would get into this first email. Um. Now let's start here because we just had Mother's Day yesterday. Good life. As I tape this. Um, Okay. <laughs> okay. This the subject says Mother's Day question mark. I would rather be pissed on and beat. <laughs> uh, this person writes, "I'm emailing you uh, because today is Mother's Day, and personally, I'm a little bit of a shitty. It's uh, personally, it's a little bit of a shitty Hallmark holiday that always guilt trips me into thinking that I need to tell my mom how amazing and beautiful she is, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is I have a mom. She's alive. Um, But all that mushy purple, lovey-dovey mom and daughter shit they put into cards and spew out in every ad on the radio just doesn't describe my relationship with my mom. She hasn't been completely terrible uh, in the sense that I know most of the time that she loves me in her own complicated way. Growing up, she did her best to provide food and shelter, both very good mom-like things, in my opinion. But honestly, that is about all that I think she gave me, besides a perfect example of what I don't want to be. She's an on-again, off-again alcoholic who never tried hard enough to accomplish anything. And now that she's almost 50 and works in a kitchen at a casino, she wants to bitch at me and my siblings about how shitty life is and how everything is so fucking hard how shitty her job is. I don't have that. I don't have money for this or that, etc. Basically, all this shit that makes me feel hella guilty for having a better life than her. I'm working hard to do better in life and I have my shit together. I went to college, paid for it on my own. Wow. I have a big girl job, 
making good money, a stable relationship, helping my sister through college. I don't want to tell her that she's always been there to help me and that she's amazing and that I don't know what I would do without her (laughs) because I don't feel that way. I got my entire life without her and I'm doing just fine, but I feel guilty. Like I said, she wasn't completely shitty. I hear the stories of others on your podcast, and I know I could have a way shittier mom. The bottom line is I feel guilty for not being so in love with my mom like all the other bitches that are proclaiming on this wretched day. I tried to fill out a card to send it to her. It was the hardest thing ever because I don't want to fill with lies, and I don't want to make her feel shitty. I feel crazy because I love my mom some days. And other days I daydream about the day she will pass away and how much relief it will bring. Am I holding to a high standard? Am I holding too high a standard for my mom? Like I know people aren't perfect and we all make mistakes, but do I have to lie to her and tell her she's awesome because I came out of her vagina? Did you ever feel guilty about the feelings you had towards your mom? Did they go away or become much less intense? I can't be the only one who feels this way. So why does everyone feel like they need to proclaim so much love and admiration for their moms, even if it's half of it is lies? Thanks for the podcast. Uh, okay, much love, no hate. Yes, F all the haters. Uh, Jay. So, Jay, uh, yeah. Speaking of accepting what is, right? Yeah, of course I feel guilty not liking my mother, not loving my mother the way that Hallmark told me to. I, because I too would watch those sitcoms or like, you know, Mother's Day would roll around and, and I, in my younger days, would do the obligatory stuff, right? Buy the flowers, fill out the card with all the, <laughs> all the phony love I could muster for my mom. I love you. You're the best. Like just generic crap. And of course it felt horribly, horribly wrong and unsatisfying. And really, she never really liked anything I did for her. It was never good enough. So, uh, yeah. Are you holding too high a standard? No, listen, how you experience your mom is yours. Uh, it's, it's all you dude. It really is. And it sounds like you have reason to not be so stoked on her. And I think everybody does go like, well, my mom never, you know, locked me in a closet or beat the shit out of me. Like so-and-so had it. So surely I can't, I can't feel this way. I'm not justified. Hold on. I got to turn this volume up in my headphones. I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I like it Rush Limbaugh a lot. Okay. There. Uh, you know, I think there's this idea that we have to compare our suffering to other people's in order to justify our own feelings, right? Just because my mom didn't, uh, you know, do all these horrible, this thing to me, X, Y, and Z, I'm not justified. And that's just silly. It's just silly. And I, I think people really need to understand that you're justified in feeling however you want towards your parents, no matter what they did or or didn't do, or comparatively, if they were better or worse than somebody else. It's, it's not about that. It's your life. It's your card. It's your time. Uh, it's your experience you're having. So if you don't want to write that shit, don't write that shit. And the guilt, uh, you know, you don't have to be shitty to your mom. You don't have to be hateful. You just have to kind of write what you feel in a card. It doesn't, you know, why, why it doesn't have to be effusive and, and, and all this lovey-dovey if you're not there. Happy Mother's Day. Love, Jay. <clears throat> Happy Mother's Day. 
thanks for squeezing me out of your vag. Whatever it is you want to write that makes sense and feels good for you is fine. Uh, you know what I think gu- the guilt is? I I think guilt is repressed anger. I think I read that in a Wayne Dyer book. <laughs> I think he said that in your erroneous zones, that, that, that like 70s self-help book I fucking love. Read your, ero- it's called Your Erroneous Zones, which is probably the worst title um, to have because it sounds like erogenous zones, which is a, a sexual thing. And erroneous is, is not a word most people say or know. Um, but it's a great book. It's such a great introduction for people who are like curious about psychology and therapy and fixing what, what they feel inside is anxiousness and depression. But anyways, he talks about this like obligation of going to holidays, things that you hate and being guilted and why, what guilt is and guilt, he says, Wayne Dyer, is that it's repressed anger. You, you, you don't feel licensed to be angry at your mom. So instead you're going to feel guilty. You'll, the guilt is safer because it's you. You're, you're, you're taking the blame for her in a sense, for her not being the parent you want her to be or whatever the fuck it is. So it's easier to flog yourself because then she's not wrong for being an alcoholic and being whatever, whoever she is, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, and of course you're going you're gonna to feel guilty because A, society tells you to honor thy mother and father, right? It's in the Bible. It is in the Bible. And to not like them, to not want to be around them, to not want to shower them with admiration when it is not deserved is still a taboo in our culture. And I think, you know, another reason I started this show I, unknowingly, I think unconsciously, was to explore this idea and to get it out there that, listen, dude, it doesn't fucking matter if somebody squeezed you out of their vag or blasted a load on your mom to create you and then kind of sort of did a half-assed job raising you or was an alcoholic or a drug addict or whatever, you know, um, you're not obligated because I'll tell you what, now as a parent, my son is under no obligation to love me back the way I love him. That's just how it goes. And that's called healthy. (laughs) That's called the way it should be. Um, I had him, not the other way around. It was my choice to have children, plural. I'll have a second one in July, but uh, it's my choice. And how, how, you know, good or bad, whatever kind of job I do at it, that's up to me. Now, a lot uh, the shitty parents, a lot of them don't know any better. That's the big thing, right? But they don't know any better. They don't know. And it doesn't always feel that way when you experience it as the kid, right? Especially with alcoholism because uh, it feels voluntary. Because alcoholis- alcoholism is that one disease that uh, can be stopped by just stopping drinking. So, Right? They can just stop the disease by not drinking. And so it feels a lot more hurtful when a parent is addicted to something. Because it's like, why can't you get your shit together? I got my shit together and you did, right, Jay? You went to, you paid for your own college. Holy crap. You know, you got your life. And so we go, well, why can't you fucking get your shit together, right? I get it, man. I get it. Uh, Because they can't. And being mad at them for uh, their limitations, it's like being mad at a dog for their limitations. Do you know what I mean? 
Like, I can't be mad at Fief because he doesn't know calculus. I mean, you can be mad at your parents. You should be mad. The point being, the point being, yes, you can be, excuse me, mad at your mother for her limitations because it's part of the process of grieving her. What you're really mad at and what you're really bummed about and what you're feeling guilt about is the sadness of knowing that you didn't have the mom you wanted. That's the truth. It's really the profound anger, the rage, the sadness, the disappointment, and the grieving that comes with not having the parents you wanted. Because you can be mad at her and you can dodge her and it's going to suck. Like your existence with her until she dies will be shitty. I mean, I don't know how else to do it. I, I don't. I don't. You know, I mean, maybe some other people are better versed in this, but um, that's all you can do is feel sad about what you never had. So all this guilt is it's you, it's you not willing to grieve. Do you understand? It's you not willing to accept that she's got limitations and is sad. And you don't want to be around her. Nor do you have to. <laughs> well, I, I just don't understand the logic of like, well, th- that's my mom or that's my I have to take their abuse. I have to I have to do this. I ha- like, no, you don't. No, you really fucking don't. I mean, if your gardener said crazy stuff to you or your, your, you know what I'm saying? The checkout clerk at Ralph said some crazy stuff. You wouldn't even talk to them. So th- your parents should be the nicest people to you on the planet. Those are the people you should want to be around more. <laughs> and if you don't want to be, the problem is, you know, you're going to turn it in on yourself. You're going to make yourself wrong, not them, because that's what children do. And you're still thinking like a little girl, which is I'm, I'm, uh, I'm to blame because mom can't be. So I'm just saying, uh, you got to process this shit in therapy, man. That's the only way. It's really the only way. I don't know any other way around it or Al-Anon or, or, you know, some group setting because this stuff is so complicated and this exact email is what I'm talking about. With, with, I just see the suffering over and over in other people because I experienced it too of like, what do I do? What do I do with this? I don't want to sit down and have a Mother's Day. I hated Mother's Day with my mother. Hated it. I hated the thought of having to go out to a dinner or lunch with her and then praise lavish crap on her. I just... You know, I just, not because of she's a terrible mother. It was more like, I didn't feel that. I just didn't feel that with her. I didn't want it. I didn't like hugging her. I didn't like um, her affection. I didn't, I didn't enjoy being there. You know, <laughs> I just, I fucking really hated it. Um, so yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna feel, you're gonna feel guilty because society, especially you're right. That's the hallmark stuff, right? Like families are perfect. You should, everyone should be having a Coke and a smile and, you know, high-fiving each other about how awesome everything is. And it's just not, it's just not how it goes for most people, you know? (laughs) So, uh, I'm sorry. My heart goes out to you. Uh, you're not holding, excuse me, a too high of a standard for your mom. She's not perfect, but you also don't want to be around her and that's fine. You don't have to be. What you can't do moving forward is structure your uh, meetups with her to in a way that makes you feel good, benefits you. 
You know, I mean, does she want to have these long drawn out, you know, three hour brunches with you? And and does that make your skin crawl? Then don't do it. Then say, you know what? I can't do three hours uh, at this brunch. Here's what I can do. Why don't we go down to whatever place you both like? Let's have a nice tea and a meal and, and get on with the day. You know, there's there's ways to structure these things with your family so that you're not beholden to... I mean, I remember I, my mother would want me to go over just for hours. Oh, just sitting there, like just fucking torturing me for hours. I'm like, I don't want this, dude. I don't like this. I'm all fired up. I got it. I'm so tired. I'm so anxious. I need to go home and just have a nap after I deal with you. Like, I cannot fucking do this, dude. You don't have to. You don't have to. You, you've got the cards now because you're the grown-up. So there you go. You got the cards now because you're a grown-up. You're a fucking grown-up. Okay. Here's some more parent guilt. Let's go. Let's go with it. Uh, okay. Hi, Mommy. I love the podcast, episode 167. You talk about growing up with fucked up parents and how we feel the need to accept or forgive the behavior because they are our parents. I'm 22 and had both parents around growing up. When I was 20 years old, a family member of mine was murdered. This family member was very close to my father. Along with losing someone close, my father also lost his job and his mind. He started bringing randoms in the house, doing the bad drugs and being really angry It was just me and my mom at the house at the time, and needless to say, we weren't having that. So the next two years we spent in and out of the house, at hotel rooms, and with close friends, also while working for a new place, looking for a new place to stay. When my dad found out my mom was leaving, he really lost his shit, yelling at her all hours of the night, accusing her of cheating with her coworker. He would make up scenarios, call me, and tell me to ask my mom who she had been fucking at work. Yeah, I know, right? This past January, my mother and I got our own place and couldn't be happier. However, I can't help but think about my dad being alone. I don't talk nor see him as much, and when I do, it's pretty short and simple. Sometimes he will come to me with his bullshit I don't entertain. Not sure what I'm asking, but I guess I would like some advice on dealing with a newly druggy and maybe even bipolar dad. I want to keep a relationship with him because he is my dad. There's that acceptance shit again. And not sure on how to proceed if he continues. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, Katie, if, if I'm hearing you correctly, you want to know how to maintain a relationship with this person because they're your dad the person who did a bunch of drugs and displaced you from your home. And then when your mother wanted to leave him and do the healthy thing, he basically lost his shit, accusing him, accusing her of cheating and then would make up scenarios. So it sounds like he's delusional call you and involve you and all that. Um, sorry. So this is the person you want to maintain a relationship with. Oh, Okay. Okay, I wasn't. I wasn't sure. I was understanding the uh, the the question. Um, yeah, Katie, my love. I I mean, look. If you want to keep the relationship with him, uh, you're gonna have to put up some serious boundaries. And he, if he is bipolar, and I think he is, there's something going on. It sounds like a lot of um, paranoia, making up scenarios, that kind of stuff. 
Uh, I would argue too, there were probably signs of him being something, something wackadoo before this family member was murdered. I'm, I'm just going to hypothesize, hypothesize. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you're dealing with a mentally ill person um, and there's nothing you can do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There's just, there's just nothing you can do. Um, unfortunately, and it does sound like he is mentally ill. Uh, I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't, I can't diagnose anybody, but doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound good. Uh, huh. Okay. I mean, you know, I just, again, I don't, I don't buy the argument because he's my dad. It's like, okay, well, he's a sperm donor. Sure. Doesn't sound very uh, paternal. It doesn't sound like it's a good relationship to want to maintain. Um, but if it's something you want to do, you, you know, um, you're gonna be. It's gonna be really painful and and hard. I think. I mean, uh, it's tough. You're gonna try to put down boundaries. You probably won't be able to respect them. I'm guessing things like do not involve me in your relationship with my mother i don't want to hear i'm not i'm not gonna help you come up with the scenarios or whatever all that's you're not doing that um drop in on him from time to time check on him make small talk and that's it i you know i don't think you can have a relationship with someone that's not in treatment that's not medicated that's not um you know, you, you don't share, uh, to quote the fantastic Paul Gilmartin, who, who we, I, we did a fantastic episode, look that one up here of, of this program, Paul Gilmartin, The Mental Illness Happy Hour. I can't recommend that show enough. Um, but he said something really fantastic, which I, I can't stop thinking about, which is I couldn't have, uh, you can't have a relationship with somebody you don't share a reality with. Let me say that again. You can't have a relationship with someone you do not share a reality with. So you guys are on two different planets, my love. That's the problem. And, you know, it's going to be an inverted relationship where you're the caregiver and your daddy is not your daddy, boo-boo. You know, he's going to be the child and you're going to be the parent. And it's very tough. So as long as you're not expecting anything from him, as long as you're not uh, expecting him to somehow get his shit together and be normal and be a dad, because I don't think you're going to get that back from him. It's never coming. And I don't, I I would argue you probably never did have a great pop. Um, So uh, he's lost his mind and... It's really just a matter of you, you know, checking in on him, making sure he's not in the streets or doing weird stuff. And if you f- if you feel like that, and if you don't feel like that, um, there are ways that you can check on him without having to have direct contact. Maybe there are other family members you can ask to check on him on your behalf. Hey, is dad, uh, Does he have a house? Is he living in a home? Does he have food? Does he have his needs? You know, things like that, that nature. 
but I just, I, 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 you know what it is? My asshole puckers at the word relationship with your dad, because I just don't, it's, it's just not possible when they're mentally ill and they're gone. Um, which, what you're going to have is just, uh, you know, the inverted parent child relationship really. Um, and I don't know if you're mad at him. I don't know if you're feeling, I don't know how you feel towards him really. Uh, but I would, I would suggest, uh, you know, getting yourself into some kind of counseling to, to think about how you feel about this. Why are you worried about him? Uh, let him worry about him. He's the adult. You're the child. I think you need to worry about you and get your shit in therapy and get your life together. Cause that's all you can do, boo. You, you can't even, you can't even fucks with him. That's what I'm saying. It's like, there's nothing you can do. There really is nothing except, except, except acceptance of it. And that, you know, involves processing with a shrink. Unfortunately, sometimes, fortunately, unfortunately, anyways, I'm sorry. Uh, it's terribly tragic. So horrible, isn't it? It's it's just so, it just makes me, me cry when I hear people with these stories. It's like, I wish I could open up an orphanage and just take in all these people. (laughs) Be like, I'll, I'll be nice to you. I promise. I I won't ruin your life the way your folks did. (laughs) I'm going to open up a shelter for like 20 year old millennials with shitty parents. Okay. Uh, next one, Caitlin. Caitlin. Uh, hi, mommy. She writes, I'm 33 and have been married to my amazing husband for one year. We've been together almost five years. I've always wanted to have kids, but the thought of having them scares me. This is my second marriage, as it is my husband's. We were both married to very selfish, self-centered people before. We consider ourselves super lucky to have found each other and our lives could not be more perfect. Sometimes sometimes I literally have to stop myself from crying when I think about how extremely lucky I am. I literally cannot love this man more. Adorable. My fear is that everything will change once we have a baby, i.e. we may not be as connected or enjoy each other's company the way we do now. I'm worried it will be like a lot of other couples who just coexist. Is it irrational uh, to fear what may never happen? And am I a selfish moron not to have a baby with this man? Because I want him all to myself. Also, I'm a surgical assistant for a periodontist and my job is really fast paced and demanding. I commute two hours a day, which is not fun, but I love the doctor I work for. I'm worried I would need to find a new job just so I'm not away from my kid all the time. Okay. Love for the party. Okay. Tell me why I'm all fucked up since you're like, hey, okay. Listen, I would argue finding a job closer to your home. I mean, two hours a day is terrible. Is that one way? Oh my God. Anyways, I would argue just for your own quality of life with your husband right now to find a shorter commute. <laughs> it's terrible. No, stay get get closer to your house just for your husband's sake first of all. Okay. So you're asking me um your fear that everything will change once you have a baby. You may not be as connected. Okay. Um here's the thing. Having a child, uh, if you have a good thing before, this is why people often advocate being married for a few years before you have your child. Um, so that you learn how to work together as a team, right? Because that's, that's what you're doing. When you're married, you're really team genes. 
It's like, how do you guys work together on finances? How do you work together on big decisions? How do you work together on little decisions? How do you work together in the home? How do you work together outside the home? All this stuff is kind of, that's the groundwork of a marriage, right? And then when you guys have your systems down, then you can bring in a third person, which is a child, and you guys adjust accordingly, right, to that. Um, Now, I have a sneaking suspicion that the people that are super unhappy with children and the marriage were probably unhappy before the children came a little bit too. Um, Now, that being said too, I feel like uh, it depends on what kind of guy your husband is. Uh, is. Is he the type to change diapers? Is he the type to to be a real partner in child rearing or is he a hands-off kind of dad? You know, because a lot of women, they once they have a kid, they go, oh gosh, I just, I didn't realize this, but this is the kind of guy who doesn't want to really raise the kid with me. And that's when resentment comes in and um, and that's when people, I think, really start to hate each other. Financial stress too, having a child is ex- very expensive and that can put a, a financial strain on the marriage and that can cause people to be unhappy, sure. Uh, time with one kid, yeah, it's, it's your, your time is a little, it's lesser the time that you'll have alone together. But if you sleep train that baby, your boo-boo, my kid is down at 7 and 7.30, Tom and I are watching TV in bed with the two dogs. So if you structure your life with your kid, you can do it. You know, you'll have your, your adult time. Plus you get that sweet nap during the day. Come on now. Sleep training, sleep training. Um, so it can, yeah, sure. I, I don't know you guys, so I can't tell you, but from what I've seen, the happier marriage, the happy, the marriage, happier, the marriage in the beginning. And if the guy's willing to help out and, uh, not put you at the center of childcare, or if you can afford help, or you can get help from family. And I'm talking like grandparents who can watch that kid, babysit that kid, so you go out on your dates and you go out and you have fun still and you live your life. Uh, you're going to need help. It's just really hard with only two people. And that's what I believe makes couples very sad because it, it's so much stress. It can be. And now that first year is tough, I'm not going to lie. Uh, the first year is an adjustment and... That's probably the year that you're going to learn how to be, you know, you're learning how to be parents and that can put a strain on your marriage. Absolutely. Now, that being said, once you guys find a groove, because you're learning to go from two to three people in a relationship in a marriage, basically, once you figure that out, you guys get your love back. At least that's what happened in ours. I don't know. Other people, it's different. I don't know. My suggestion to you uh, first of all, just stop commuting two hours a day. It's not worth your life. You're losing two hours a day of your life that could be spent at home doing things you enjoy doing, exercising, um, any other hobby. I know you like the doctor. I get it. There's got to be other doctors because that's a quality of life issue. And yeah, when you're, we, you know, we had to move because we were too far away from civilization and we had a child and you don't want to be in traffic for two hours a day when your kid's at home. You don't. It's a waste of time. You need to be with your baby. Um, so my suggestion is to sit down with him and have a really, really frank discussion. Really open about, hey, what do you think you're, what do you, how do you feel about children? 
How do you feel about the day-to-dayness of caring for children? How do you feel about changing a diaper? How do you feel about um, preparing meals, packing lunches for, for school, taking the kid to school, putting the kid down for a nap, uh, buying clothes, buying groceries, taking out trash, like all these things. Cause that, that's what, that's all it is with the, I mean, that's not all it is, but, <laughs> um, oh, and also values. I think that's what people get real fussy about too. One of you, you know, for instance, this is just a for instance, one of you's Jewish, one of you's Catholic, uh, but you want to raise your kid Catholic. Well, I want the Christmas tree. And your Jewish partner goes, fuck a Christmas tree. I'm a Jew. We don't do that kind of thing. Like those types of things come up when you're raising children. You know, you're religious. He's not. Like, I want my kid to go to the religious school. I don't. Fuck, that's terrible. So you need to kind of agree on on what your vision is of what kind of parents you want to be, right? So I talked to him about that kind of stuff. Hey, what do you think about private school? What do you think about public school? What do you think about religion? What do you think about uh, circumcision? What do you think about vaccinations? Are you, do you want to change diapers and, and ask those really detailed questions that, and I know you don't know those questions yet cause you don't have a kid, but I'm telling you what they are. <laughs> uh, it's, it's little stuff. Who's going to wake up with the baby in the morning, right? Who's going to wake up when the baby cries in the night? In the beginning, that's going to have to be you because uh, you've got the tits that are feeding it. And by the way, that's that's also another bone uh, of contention in the beginning when you have a kid is that that baby's attached to mom, really, for the first year because it, it still thinks it's inside of you and for the first three months of its life. And it's it's attached to mom. So you're, you know, you are kind of the primary for the first year because your, your body is its food source and it knows you the best. So, you know, that makes sense. But after that, uh, you know, dad and during that, by the way, dad can still do diapers. Dad can still feed the baby with a bottle. There's ways to incorporate dad into baby's care, but I would feel him out in terms of what he's comfortable with doing. And be really, really, really frank. And also, uh, you know, after you have a kid, the sex life slows down a bit, especially in the very beginning. I mean, I, I don't know who's banging like crazy after they have a baby. I, I certainly was not. Um, mostly because anatomically I wasn't ready. But, you know, you're tired for the first couple of years. You're really, really tired. And it's not always conducive to sexual sexual time. So yeah, you're gonna experience a strain for the first year, definitely. And how you guys weather that storm is really going to be what the marriage is going to look like after. So look at your finances. Ask your husband these questions too. Who's going to pay for what? Will I still work? How much will I be working? Will I work part-time the first year maybe? Uh, Will I work full-time? Will we find a great daycare nearby? my work so I can go, you know, check in on the baby. I can breastfeed, whatever the fuck. I don't know. You guys need to really sit down and have a detailed discussion on the particulars of what that looks like. And who knows? He might be the kind of guy who's like, my wife is not going to work when we have a child. No way. No way. And that's going to be a thing for you. So that's the kind of stuff that wrecks a marriage is not having these conversations. And I, I advocate really hashing things out with people in in a very detailed, specific way and really communicating what it is you would like to do. And think of for you too. You have this great 
uh, career. What, how much, you know, are you willing to compromise and stuff? And, uh, you know, and, and, and as, as women's lib as I am, there's some stuff I won't do now because my kid is a priority and guess what? I'm not fucking doing five, six shows out. I'm doing two shows one night and I'm coming home or whatever. Uh, I've made a combination. So has my husband. We know we no longer work the way we did before because we have a son who's the priority and the center of our universe. And that's how it should be. In my opinion, I don't know. Am I crazy? Uh, so yeah, uh, it doesn't have to ruin. It doesn't have to ruin. Look, Tom and I are, uh, you know, we're two and a half years into being parents and it's probably the happiest time in our marriage, honestly, because once you get past those, that early adjustment stage, the newness of being parents, you start to get into a groove and it's the best thing ever. Cause you've created this other person, you guys created him or her, and now you're getting to watch this person be who they are. And it's so fun and it's so exciting. And we absolutely get a thrill out of watching Ellis do whatever it is he's doing. It's, it's always amusing. And, um, and you become closer than ever. You know, at least we are, I think, I think it's great, but we also make time to be a couple. You know, we go uh, once a month or so, we spend the night in a hotel and we do mom, dad things, right? And we have dinner and we talk and guess what? We fuck. You got to fuck. And I think a lot of people, especially women, it's really hard because once you have a kid, you don't want to fuck. It's, it gets a lot more like, Ugh, are you serious? I'm exhausted. My vagina is a desert. My tits are, you know, mushy purples down to my stomach. Are you kidding me? My body's right. Ra- Believe me. Look, ladies, I know, I know, I know. But you got it. You still got to bang. You got to bang in the marriage. You got to hold that shit together. And it has to stay a priority. It just has to. So you have to make a conscious effort to keep those things alive, to find somebody who can watch the kids. So you can go to the dinner. You have your date night. You spend a night away every now and then from that baby so that the two of you can be who you used to be. You know, And there are some nights you guys stay up late and watch your Netflix shows and giggle and, and pay the price the next day. But you do those things because that's who you were before you had a kid, right? Uh, but you just have to really be cognizant of maintaining all that stuff. And also I do think, especially as women, become, as we become mothers, um, you start to think of your husband as like, oh, it's another person I have to fucking take care of. Ah, which is not the case, right? Because uh, at least how I see it, mom and dad are the, the rock upon which everything else is built. And if mom and dad aren't strong, the whole family falls apart, so my husband is not this extra person I need to take care of. Uh, my husband's the person I take care of. I love him and he takes care of me and we're a rock. We're solid. And that way our kid feels solid. Every, everything else falls together when mom and dad love each other. So we, Tom and I make each other the priority. And as long as you do that, I think you can do it. You can totally do it. But you need help, okay? And I mean that. You need a good daycare. You need a good babysitter, a nanny, a grandma, grandpa, an aunt, uncle, friend, whoever, someone you trust, excuse me, somebody obviously that you trust with your child is a good person. Um, but yeah, there's no reason that your life is over, right? Don't worry. I think I was worried about that too. Like, what's that going to, what's that going to look like? Cause you see a lot of miserable cunts out there, right? With families. And that's always the big sitcom is like, Oh, the put upon guy where everybody loves Raymond. Oh, he 
he's so put out. He's so hassled by the family. The wife hates him. The wife is miserable. The wife never puts out. Uh, it's just so stupid. It just doesn't have to be that way. It really, it really doesn't. These are choices people make. This is voluntary suffering, in my opinion. I mean, if you fucking put your baby down at 7 or 7.30 or whatever, early time, guess what? You put the kid down, you, you fucking turn the monitor on, you have a glass of wine, and you fuck your husband. It's just, it's just that simple. It doesn't mean the death of, of everything. It just means you structure your life a little bit differently. You know? There's no reason. There's no reason to be uh, uh, just, you know. And, and, I, and also, I think that's kind of a... I hate to say it, but kind of an American mom thing of like, well, now I have a kid. Now I got a frumpy dump. I got to go get my haircut at the dog groomers and uh, I got to just fucking give up and sew my vag shut and be a full-time mom, full-time mode, mom mode. It's like, I, I honestly, I don't understand. <clears throat> Excuse me. Just You can be a parent and also be a sexual person. <laughs> you can still be a person and be a mom. It, it's just, it's fine. These two things are not mutually exclusive um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't fucking know. Well, who knows? That's just my, my two cents on it. And I wish you the best of luck. And I think you should totally do it. I think having kids is like one of the most rewarding, amazing things ever, ever, ever. And I, um, I'm just so thankful that I didn't miss out on the opportunity to have them because I love it. I fucking love it. I think it's, I think it's the, it's just the most rewarding, amazing thing is everyday sunshine. No, Nope. Uh, but a lot of it is, man. And the truth is, kids are fucking annoying. That That's just it. They're just annoying sometimes. Um, that's, that's it. Do you like being annoyed? Have a kid. <laughs> that's just the truth. That We love them. They're the apple of our eyes. Ellis is the fucking everything, my son, my universe. But sometimes he annoys the piss out of both of us, Tom and I, and that's just their job. That's their job to annoy you and for you to deal with those feelings and to deal with what it is they're, uh, what buttons they're pushing inside of you. And you take that to your shrink and you fucking work it out, man. You don't take it out on him, right? That's what you do. All right. Anyways, so this is it for now, my loves. I'm signing off. I'm on baby hiatus for a few months. Um, in the meantime, I recommend going into my back catalog. Look at the RSS feed. It's on, uh, that's com. You can look at the hundreds of episodes I have done before this episode. Um, you know, look at them, try them out, listen to them. Um, check out Paul Gilmartin's mental illness, happy hour in lieu of my program. I think it's just fantastic and he really does such a great job of having very open discussions with people about very fucked up things it's so great come see me uh do stand up look out for the new netflix thing coming we're taping again if you didn't hear at the top of the show i'm doing another um special for netflix it is a half hour it's a special program it's called the degenerates uh, Joey Diaz and I are on it with Big J Okerson and uh, Liz Traeger and, oh gosh, I wish I knew her name, Yamanika. I don't know her last name. I apologize. These are East Coast comics. That's why I don't fucking know them. Um, but we're shooting in Vegas June 4th. And if you want tickets to that, go to Christina P. Online. And when you get those tickets, just use the promo code your mom to make sure you get those seats. They're going to give you preferential seating in the front of the, uh, of the room. 
if you use the code your mom. So you got to use that code if you want to get great seats and if you want to get those tickets. They're free, 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 free if you live in Las Vegas or in the area June 4th. And June 4th, I think Joey and I tape on the same night. So that's going to be a knockout show to see, um, I think, both of us together. is going to be pretty crazy. I sure hope I'm not following him. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that should probably, I'm guessing, will come out in October. I'm guessing on Netflix. And you will see me seven and a half months pregnant talking some mad shit in Vegas. It's going to be bananas. Uh, I've got a lot of topical jokes that I'm putting on that half hour, which is why I'm doing it in case you're like, wait, why are you just do? Because there are topical jokes that by the time I get around to shooting my next hour will have expired and no one will give a shit. So I'm putting it out there now as fast as I can. There you go. Okay, guys, um, until I come back from this baby and from working on this Netflix thing, because it is taking up a lot of my time, um, I bid you adieu. And I, I, I appreciate everybody who's ever listened, downloaded this podcast, come to a show to see me. I appreciate everybody that's ever emailed me. And believe me, I read them all. I don't always answer because I don't always have time to, but I, I, keep, um, I keep your emails. I keep you guys in my heart. And I think about so many of you um, over the years. And I'm so thankful that you guys have given me the opportunity to... Uh, just talk this crazy stuff out into the world because uh, it's just such a unique time we live in that you can uh, put something out there and people will listen. It's just, it's so miraculous. And uh, just remember you're a fucking special snowflake. That is absolute truth. There is nobody like you. There will never be anybody like you and all, and all the planets and all the galaxies and all the universes, the absurd the absurd possibility that you should exist, it, it happened, and you're existing today, and that's a miracle. And uh, and enjoy it. Enjoy your fucking miracle, man. Um, enjoy your life, because really, what else are you going to do? Are you going to stay a miserable cunt? Get your ass into therapy if you are a miserable cunt. There's no reason to suffer. There's no reason to be unhappy. There's no reason to keep repeating the same mistakes in your life. So, okay. Much love. No hate. F all the haters. Haters? <laughs> F all the haters. And I will see you guys in a few months. Okay. Meows. Now what? I don't know. Philosophize with. Philosophize with. Christina P, aka Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party, our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke, or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates. Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.